0: now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. On today's show, Henry
1: Kasner, co-founder and partner of Sovereign's Capital. The more and more I came to understand how God loved me so much and that He didn't need me to earn my salvation, it freed me up to worship Him more and to know Him more. He made me a business guy. It's my meaningful form of worship. When I can tap into that as my motive, working out of the sense Grateful, and it's freed me up to do much better work. I get so much more joy from work.
0: Well, hello, everyone. This is Ray Hilbert. I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith, and we would like to welcome you to today's program. And if this is your first time joining us here at Bottom Line Faith, welcome. And if you're a regular subscriber and listener to the program, welcome back. Well, folks, I am excited about our guest for today's program. We are joined through the wonderful technology of digital online media interview here, Henry Kasner. Henry is the co-founder and partner at Sovereign's Capital. We're going to learn all about Sovereign's Capital in just a moment, but he comes to us from Los Gatos, California, and I believe that means the cats. Is that correct, Henry? It does indeed. (laughs) I'm not really up to date on my Spanish, but I I do recall that. But folks, let's welcome Henry Kaysner to the show. Henry, welcome to Bottom Line Faith.
1: Ray, thank you very much. It's great to be with you.
0: Well, Henry, I have really, really been looking forward to this conversation. Uh, We're going to also talk about your podcast and the things that the Lord's got you doing to also encourage uh, entrepreneurs who are Christ followers in the marketplace. But let's just take a couple of moments and help our audience. Tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, Prior, You moved to California recently from North Carolina and so forth, but help our audience just get to know a little bit about Henry.
1: Sure, yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. I uh, went to school at the University of Delaware where I discovered my first love, which was actually discovering I could make a t shirt for $5 and selling it for 10 And even I could do that math and uh, really enjoyed uh, the beginning part of my entrepreneurial journey. Um, there's a much longer story in there that maybe some other day won't pack, but I found myself after school uh, working on Wall Street. I'd seen the movie Wall Street with Gordon Gekko and Bud Fox. and I wanted to be Bud Fox. And so uh, you know when you're in, in big trouble, when Charlie Sheen is your first role model. <laughs> and uh, I went to Wall Street and pursued fame and fortune and all the other trappings that I thought would really bring me happiness with time. And uh, of course, found that they, that they did. I found success and I found uh, some level of professional accomplishment. And yet, it was really a, a long, hard, and difficult, and even dark time for me. I ended up moving down to North Carolina with my fiance at the time, a wonderful, wonderful woman. And uh, it was in the process of doing that that we had thought we should really just investigate different churches. We'd both grown up in a very liberal church where the gospel was not at the center. But we understood at the time to think that really church was kind of like a moral and social country club. So we thought we should probably join one of those. And we walked into a church one day where they were preaching the gospel. And the pastor up front was confident, articulate, and intelligent, and clearly believed that the Bible was true. And that threw me for a loop. So that sent me to read God's Word and come to understand through the Holy Spirit that indeed it was true. And as it so often does for adult converts, it changed everything for me. And I came to understand why I was made and what the purpose was of my life, what the purpose was of my entrepreneurial ambitions. And I started a company uh, together with a guy who became my best friend and business partner, of course, named David Markin, and started this company called Bandwidth. And we wanted to be very intentional about our corporate culture. This is the time, 2000, 2001, when it's all about dot-com culture and whether you had a ping-pong table in your office, a time where all of America or most of America went from wearing coats and ties or suits and ties to work to wearing flip-flops and and shorts. And that was a time where we also wanted to be intentional about our culture. Well, we decided, of course, that our culture needed to have integrity to it. It needed to really map who we wanted to be as individuals. And for David and I, it meant that faith was going to be number one. I was a new believer. He was a lifelong believer. Faith was going to be number one. Number two is going to be family. We have uh, nine kids between us. I have three boys. David's got six. And uh, then was work and then fitness. And we started the company with those operating principles and values, and now 18 years on and, and about 850 employees that we've got now between the companies, everybody understands our foundational values to be faith, then family, then work, and then fitness. And so that's a bit about me and my background. I'll Actually, uh, I'll fast forward a little bit up to the present day. When I turned 40, Dave and I sat down and I, I determined that I was going to move from the CEO position to the chairman role. We'd always been partners, but I really felt a calling to uh, come alongside Christ-filing entrepreneurs. You know, you see, when Dave and I were two or three years into bandwidth, we had had some success, but we'd really spent through the money that I had had from a exit. So we went up and down St. Hill Road trying to raise money. And we wouldn't talk about our foundational values on the first visit. But when it came around the second or third time, we would. We knew that we we're going to be strapped to the mass by bringing on a real partner into the business. And we didn't expect that they'd share our faith, but we wanted them to know what made us tick. And we wanted them to know about our culture. And so we said, look, we're not going to be a holy huddle. We're going to hire the best person for the job, but we might do things like pray before board meetings, and you need to know that. And I think that uh, during that time, uh, we were, in the best case scenario, really misunderstood. And worst case scenario, I think we were prejudiced against. It was a very long, dark, and hard time for us. And we went over for 40 in venture races. So fast forwarding, bandwidth had had uh, quite a bit of success. We've since taken bandwidth public. We spun off for Public Wireless, which is a privately held company. And that experience taught us two things. One, of course, Christian-led businesses can compete and win. And number two, institutional capital doesn't know what to make of that. Whether it's on the venture side, whether it's on the buyout side, institutional capital doesn't understand how faith can be so much of a fabric of the leader and of the culture of the company. And so we decided to set up a money management fund, an investment firm to invest in companies where faith is the most important thing to them. Uh, so now we have a venture capital fund that invests in Southeast Asia and in America and faith-driven entrepreneurs. We're just launching a new fund where we are buying companies from owners that had built and then maintained a Christian culture and looking to maintain that legacy of a of a God-honoring culture. And three years ago, my family and I, as you alluded to, moved out from North Carolina to, to Northern California, really to be uh, hopefully a salt and white out here to the younger entrepreneurial community that's really struggling with whether they can talk about their faith mm. in the marketplace or not.
0: Well, boy, inside of that, there's so much. I, I hope we can unpack. That is very exciting. So, Henry, you you really are passionate. We, you and I have had conversations around the entrepreneurial's journey and so forth. So, you know, that's a, a big portion of our audience here at Bottom Line Faith. These are Christ followers who own businesses, have started companies, they're CEOs and so forth. So, w- would you mind maybe just talking to us just for a moment? L- let's let's just park here on what you're doing now with uh, Sovereign's Capital, okay? And um, let's talk about, as you and your firm, you're going in and you're looking at companies to partner with, invest in, and so forth. What are those traits and characteristics that are most important from your perspective that even get your attention as to whether or not this is a firm you want to look into partnering
1: with? Well, great question. The first thing we look at is we look at excellence. We actually look through things. God has given us uh, gifting in, in operations and operations and in business, and we want to use all of those gifts for his glory. And so the first thing we look at is, is this a business that is excellent? Francis Schaeffer once said, and I'm paraphrasing here a bit, but it's to the degree that we do our work well that we have an opportunity to witness and be heard. And so we look at it kind of in that order. Is this business crushing it? Are they doing really well? Are they very serious about building a great product and a service are they very intentional about the lighting their customers? And do they have a track record of doing that and doing that in such a way that they're able to, to stand out amongst their secular competitors in the marketplace? The second thing we look at, which doesn't mean that this is less important, of course, but is the faith. That's very, very, very important for us, particularly when we're investing in a venture company. That's a company where we'll be a minority investor. We'll come alongside the founder and to encourage them as they look to love on their partners, vendors, customers, and employees in a way that points to God. And so uh, the faith-driven nature of, of an owner is, is just is super important for us. What does that mean in terms of their church membership and accountability? How do they think about the biblical message of generosity? Where's their identity? And then we also, of course, look at that on the buyout side, too, when we invest in intergenerational transfer for more established businesses. There, candidly, it's not as important— because we'll be going ahead and we'll be running a business with one of our entrepreneurs and residents going forward. But it's still important. Uh, we want to understand the culture that we're stepping into. Is there chaplaincy? Is there a culture of praying with non-believing employees as we go ahead and and, and look to operate a company along those principles? Has uh, the road already been paved there or not? But I think, and I just want to revisit to the first order, it's just really important that we look at and try our best to be excellent in our work. Mm-hmm. as we help
0: these excellent companies thrive. So let's just, for a moment, Henry, let's let's just say that right now uh, there's a CEO or a founder of a company that's listening to our conversation, and they've wondered, is there anybody out there that could come alongside me and maybe help me get to that next level, grow? God's blessed me with this. Our business is solid. We've got excellence. What advice would you have for them? Just in general, what advice would you have for them to prayerfully work through that next step of taking their company to that next level?
1: So that's that's a great question. And I'll try to answer it within the auspices of both a minority investment and then a majority investment. And one thing I want to make sure that, that listeners hear from me is that I wouldn't suggest for a second that in order to grow your business with an investing partner, that you have to bring on board an investing partner that shares your faith. It doesn't need to happen at all. It just needs to You just need to be in a spot where you're able to be intentional about reflecting on the values you have and being able to be articulate with why you do what you do. And I think that that's something that's really lost a lot within entrepreneurial companies is how powerful it is to talk about why we do what we do. There's a great video on TED.com by Simon Sinek that talks about the why of leadership and how important that is. So when we as Christ followers can be articulate about why we do what we do, presumably for the glory of God, that's the first and most important thing. If you've got that in place and you feel confident in your ability to execute on that and that your investing partner will respect that, even if they don't share their faith, your faith, rather, then uh, I want everybody to know that that you can bring on board anybody. I'd love for somebody to go ahead and say, well, we've uh, we've got down to two finalists. There's Sovereign's Capital on one hand, and then there's, say, Battery Square, U.S. Venture Partners on the other. And we know that we can be about maintaining our Christian faith with with sovereigns. Can we do the same with battery or Sequoia U.S. Venture Partners? The answer, of course, is yes, absolutely, all day. So the first step to answer your question is the first step is really understand what's important to you as a leader and are you talking about it? Mm -hmm. Are you able to talk about the reason for the hope you have with gentleness and respect? Is it baked into your values? Is it what you are known for, the way that you love people? Have you thought about not only being able to love people with action, but also with word? One of the big mistakes we made at Bandwidth for a long time is we didn't pray with our non-believing employees. We thought it was too over the top. We we missed the target on that. We missed an opportunity to love on people. So trying to understand what that looks like. Also, we're a huge fan of chaplaincy. Does it make sense for us to have a chaplain? So go through those things first. Then, of course, as it comes to financing, endeavor to understand whether you should be financing at all. When you bring somebody else on board, you bring on board a relationship where there are expectations they'll have. They'll have expectations on whether that's with sovereigns or somebody else, they'll have expectations on a return. They'll have expectations with regards to an exit. So, really understanding whether indeed you need to be financing, need to be raising funds, and what their expectations are is just super important. Making sure that you're not willful through that process is also very important. Candidly, back when David and I went over for 40 adventure raises, we were being willful about a fundraise, hmm. and God saved us from our willfulness, and that he uh, allowed us to go over for forty venture raises. I'm so happy we didn't raise a dollar <laughs> of venture funding back then. And I know how ironic that sounds now as we have a venture fund, and yet that's very much the true, truth. We were being willful, believing that that's what the next thing uh, that we needed to do instead of being faithful and there's so many examples, of course, in, in Scripture about the difference between being willful and faithful. And, you know, Saul didn't wait on Samuel before he went off, like Gideon did. And you can be willful in your activity like that, or faithful in your activity, or you can be willful in your passivity. Like when, when kings go off to war, David stayed behind, and was willful in his passivity. So um, marking yourself on that. Do you need to be raising money at all? What are the expectations? And then making sure that your culture can survive Uh, that the values are uh, consistent, and that you bring on board somebody uh, that respects that, even if they don't share that.
0: And so... Henry, uh, with this long and tremendously successful career in in entrepreneurism and now investing and so forth, it sounds like one of the things you've taken away is uh, thank God for the unanswered prayers, right? Because you you talked about that he wasn't answering those prayers, and there was reasons for that. But as you look back over the course of your career, if you wouldn't mind, maybe share with us an example of maybe one of the hardest decisions that you had in business, and how did your faith help bring you through one of those difficult seasons?
1: So the uh, the fundraising process is one of those, and just to, to give a little more detail there, uh, David and I would pray before the meetings, and I think that God answered our prayers. Uh, uh, we prayed though that that we'd walk out with a twenty million dollar term sheet. That was our prayer. What we didn't pray for. And there's great scripture on this, that the Holy Spirit know, understands the groanings of our heart. What we're, our biggest prayer was, should have been, Lord, please just provide the resources for us to run a business for your glory. And advancing it, growing it at the pace that you would have for us. Help us not to be willful. That was the prayer we should have been praying. And that's what God answered. And hallelujah, that that's the way he answered it. So that's uh, that's super important. And then uh, you asked about what are some mistakes we made. Yeah. Is that right?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, so the biggest mistake was not, not being able to understand early on in our careers, really the difference between being willful and faithful and understanding patterns and attitudes of the heart that would indicate whether the actions we were taking were out of being willful or being faithful. That really stems from a challenge. That really comes and really, I think, really plagues a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners, and it's really one of identity. You see, uh, all too often in our early days, we, our identity was being as this company that was growing at 20% month over month or that had just done a big deal with Google, as we did a big deal with Google back in 2008, powering their network. And for other entrepreneurs, that can be you know just having closed a big funding round. And it's insidious because our parents will call us up and say, oh, my goodness, I'm so proud of you, even if we grew up in a Christian home the type of inputs we get are that uh, we're a successful entrepreneur and it becomes our identity. And we see this in a lot of the companies we invest in now. They're successful. Other sector venture capital funds have invested in them too. And yet their lives are characterized with anxiety, as mine was all too often. And anxiety really betrays, of course, that we're afraid of something. And it also betrays that uh, we have a misplaced identity. And what I miss early on which is the biggest mistake an entrepreneur can make, I think, is that my identity is as a beloved child of God. I've been adopted as a son, whether I succeed at bandwidth or whether I succeed at Southern's Capital or not. Mm. I need to rejoice, not that we have this in terms of an internal rate of return or bandwidth did this or that, but that my name is written on the book of life. And that sounds so preachy and so like Bible study-ish. But it's like the deepest truth that any entrepreneur can really tap into. And yet we might get it at some intellectual level, uh, but it's so hard to really have an entrepreneur have that seep in when we're so busy and there's always something to do and there's always a dragon to slay. I have a good friend of mine named Daryl, Daryl Heald. And Daryl, uh, met, I met Daryl probably about a dozen years ago. And Daryl set me on this new uh, trajectory towards discipleship that really, really changed my life. And he started a a ministry called generous giving. And he just asked me the simple question kind of in the middle of the fast growth times at bandwidth. He came to understand we were starting to give a little bit more. And I don't know at the time we're probably at 20% difference, I felt like, you know, maybe there's a special place in heaven for the double tither. And, um, I mean, I get boxed angel scans or something like that. And uh, he, just, just, he just asked that simple question. And over the next six months, it felt that every time I open up God's Word, there's another passage in it about money. And the passage that really made the biggest impact wasn't the rich young ruler and his fortune or anything like that or laying up treasure in heaven. But the biggest impact that really uh, was made in my life was uh, reading the passage where Jesus takes two fish and five loaves and feeds 5,000. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, he doesn't need my money. He just wants my heart. And he has about 20% of my money right now, and he has about 20% of my heart. And it was just I'm internalizing that that really set me free and set me free to worship him better. Anxiety didn't completely erase from my life, but with this new teaching, I had the guardrails up, and I knew – When I was starting to go down a road of being anxious, that it betrayed, that I was afraid of something, that my identity was tied up in something that it shouldn't be. And then actually, it really unleashed me in a much more powerful, much more productive season of work. Instead of really working out of fear or working out of motives that may not have been as pure, and and maybe I wasn't even conscious of them. But the more and more I came to understand how God loved me so much and that he didn't need me to earn my salvation, it freed me up to worship him more. And in no one more, and, and you know, another 80s music, movie *Residences*, is Chariots of Fire. When I work, I feel his pleasure. So I try to go to the altar, so to speak, with everything I have, and just he made me a business guy. Mm-hmm. But it's my meaningful form of worship. And when I can tap into that as my motive, working out of a sense of being grateful, then it's freed me up to do much better work. I get so much more joy from work. And it doesn't mean I've got it solved by any stretch. They're definitely yep. – seasons that I go through, and, and they're, they're foul. but those are, that's one of, those are some of the lessons that I've learned.
0: That's fantastic. Well, Henry, you know, th- this concept that we're talking about here, willful versus faithful, it's really, really powerful. But would you mind taking just a moment or two here and, and give us a good framework or a working definition? When you say willful versus faithful, what exactly does that mean?
1: That's a great question. You know, let me tell you a little bit about the derivation of how it came about. It came about because two years ago, my business partner, David, and I, together with my partner in Sovereign's capital, Luke Roush, took our sons uh, for a hiking trip uh, in Yosemite and Tahoe. And we were reflecting as we drove from Yosemite to Tahoe about just the things that had happened well in the business at Bandwidth and the things that had been a challenge. And David responded and reflected about the fact that the times in which we were really doing well were times in which we were being faithful, and we got a sense during that time That God was with us, that we had trailing winds, so to speak. But that the times where we were not successful, like for instance during the fundraise or during several other times in the business, he reflected back on it, and we both did, and saw that we were being willful. And it's just being able to reflect back and remember how we felt, the action we took, and really the position and the posture of our heart. So before we had failure, We felt this kind of frenetic, we're just going to do it, we're just going to soldier through it, we're going to persist, we're going to persevere. I know that 20 people have said no to us, but we're just going to continue. We remember what our heart felt like. During the times of sin in my life, I remember what my heart felt like before I did activities that I ended up wishing that I hadn't. And also, when things were going, when things went well in our life, when we were being faithful, during times of spiritual richness, when we felt close to God, When we saw things that were hard to do in the workplace, but we knew that they'd be pleasing to God, or at least that from what we gathered from his promises to us, we needed to go ahead and and do different things. We felt that our heart was, we want to do what's going to be good and honor God in this instance. And we always don't have a pious heart. But the times that we did, the times that we were closer, those were the times of really great flourishing, not just spiritually in our own lives, but in the business. So how do you define willfulness versus faithfulness? I think it's just a reflection of the attitude of the heart. What is my motivation? Where is this action coming from? Is it coming out of a wellspring of faith and communion with God? Or is it that I'm soldiering toward a goal that I think the world wants me to get, that my own sinful nature and tendencies want me to get, whether it's the approval of, of others and my peers or financial gain or just winning for just winning's sake? Or is this action that I'm taking right now coming out of a time of spiritual flourishing? I'm about to make a major decision. Do I find right now that I have endeavored to invite God into this conversation? Have I sought the the wisdom and the counsel of others? Have I prayed about it? Have I fasted about it? That's fantastic. What's the attitude of my heart as I get ready to make this decision, as I embark on this season of life?
0: I love it. Would you just drill down a little further on this concept of being willful, versus being faithful, because I think this is very powerful, it's very unique, and I'd like you to specifically address what are some of the symptoms or signs that, because you've warned and you said, hey, this is the biggest mistake you made uh, in your early entrepreneurial career, what are some of the signs, some of the symptoms, what should I be looking for to help me to discern whether I'm being willful or being faithful in my journey and my business career?
1: Great question. Great question. Well, we mentioned one of them before, which is anxiety. So that's a blanket one, and yet there are other ones too. I think that um, when we find ourselves being in a season where we are not spending very much time in Scripture, or we're finding reasons to not to go to our small group study, or we're not seeking out the counsel from our accountability group and a group of five or six friends that can ask us real questions, those are some symptoms, and that's uh, that's a, a sense that. Uh, we need to do this on our own, and that we're out of balance. and And I think that those are important. I've seen myself be in those those seasons. There's a great quote from Martin Luther, or at least that is ascribed or attributed to Martin Luther, talking about the fact that generally he had so much to do that day, and he had no chance of being able to do it and do it well if he wasn't uh, in prayer for at least three hours that day. Mm-hmm. And that sets, that sets a standard, of course, that I don't hit. And maybe I shouldn't say, of course. Well, I definitely don't hit it. But I think that it says so much about how I need to be in God's Word. Number one, uh, to understand how much He loves me. Scripture is God's love letter to me and to you. And I need to read it. I need to be in it all the time, lest the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches just completely just, just sink me. So that's number one. Number two, we're creating God's image, and I am not God, and my friends are not God. But collectively, us all as image bearers reflect God in a way that I cannot see on my own. I'm in this Bible study now with guys uh, every day, and we do it by text all over the country. There are nine of us. And we take a chapter from the Bible uh, every day, and it is unbelievable how when looking through God's Word, Nine different guys will take a chapter, like we're going through two, Second Samuel now. We went through the New Testament. We went through Psalms. Now we're going through the Life of David. How you can take a chapter, and a bunch of guys can find nine different takes on the same chapter. Unbelievable. And so uh, a sign is us not doing that, us not being in that type of community, not searching, searching it out. And we miss, we miss out on the richness of life, the richness of being with our family. I talked before about family being a key attribute of our foundational values at bandwidth. And and for us, that means between about eight hundred and fifteen employees, we kick out uh, the employees at, at six o'clock at night to be home with their families. And, you know, we we dial back into work at 830 and, and get our work done until it's done. But when I, we don't do that, it's Wednesday night and that's date night. And that's been really, really important to me over my 25-year career. And without it, I'd be lost. And without it, I'd be really missing one of the beautiful things that God has promised me. And when I work at my relationship with my bride, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing, and I get to experience the richness of life. So what are warning signs? Us not feeling that. Now, if we're in a two- or a three-week crunch period, we're launching a product, there are seasons. There are seasons when, when kings go off to war, and there are and they're great examples of biblical heroes being on military campaigns, and and they probably didn't have a whole lot of balance in their lives right then for a time that they were rolling out a big product launch. But from a seasonal perspective, There was. There was great balance, and too often times I see entrepreneurs missing that. And so that's the biggest. Anxiety, how are you doing in terms of your relational disciplines towards God, towards your bride, towards good friends, towards a larger church environment? Those are the biggest warning signs, I think.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm thinking of, I believe it's Proverbs 10.22 that talks about uh, that the blessing of the Lord brings wealth, and He adds no trouble to it. And that's that anxiety, mm-hmm. right? It just that on the back end of that, if we're pursuing something, going with all of our gusto, that anxiety is probably telling us it's not of the Lord, and we might be willful in that moment. So yes. I appreciate you just kind of <laughs> taking a couple extra minutes there and dive a little deeper on that, that concept, because uh, as my grandfather used to say, that dog will hunt right there. Uh, that is some great truth, and, and I think uh, a Christ-centered entrepreneur listening to this program... Uh, I hope they're taking notes, but not if you're driving. I hope you've pulled over to take notes if you're driving. So, uh, Henry, um, you know, time's flying by here. If I could transition, if you wouldn't mind, maybe just uh, I want to ask you a couple of questions here around advice. This is actually one of the questions I've learned from you. But if you could go back into that first year of being a faith-driven entrepreneur, what advice do you think you would have loved to have been given early on?
1: It's really that distinction of of just being vigilant for... Being willful versus faithful. Yeah. You know, the um, scripture passage that's really helped me in that is Proverbs sixteen two and twenty one two. Both say, "All the man's ways seem pure to him, but his motives are weighed by the Lord." So that talks about the deceitfulness of your heart. By the way, one of some of the worst advice you can give to somebody a young entrepreneur is to follow your heart. <laughs> I had three teenage boys. Do not follow your heart. The heart is the. There's all sorts of different passages on that. Uh, But David, of course, was anointed as a leader because he was a man after God's heart. Yes. And that's something that's really important. So, gosh, as you're getting started in that first year, endeavor to understand and pray that God will show you when you're being willful versus faithful. Yeah. That God will show you when you're after his heart, when you're after his motives. And I think that if you ask for it, you know, God answers prayer. I didn't ask for it, I didn't know to ask for it. So, I think that if you can ask for it, I think if you can invite people into your life, that will hold you accountable. Uh, that will touch base with you periodically and ask you how are you doing in terms of uh, are they the ways of your heart which seem right to you, or the motives of God which are, are more pure. And we all need people to help us understand our blind spots uh, because it can be really, it can be really really hard. So that's that would be my my singular advice for for a new entrepreneur.
0: And there's just such a great theme that you've driven in this conversation today. And I just really am very grateful for it. I'm just, if nothing else, thanks for teaching me today this whole concept about faithfulness versus willfulness. So, first of all, just thank you for that.
1: Thank you. Oh, it's great for me to hear it. I need it more than anybody else.
0: <laughs> right. I have a friend of mine that says he needs to preach the gospel to himself every day, right? So Indeed. we need to hear ourselves <laughs> learn these things. So Henry, um, before I kind of move on to my last question or two here, if someone's listening to the program, they want to learn more about uh, yourself, they want to learn more about Sovereign's Capital, what's the best way for uh, us to, to check it out?
1: Oh, great question. Thanks for asking it. Um, well, Sovereign's Capital has a web address, sovereignscapital.com, as you might imagine. But one of the things that I, I've gotten really encouraged about and has been a little bit of a creative outlet for me is the faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. And we've got a daily blog on it. We've got a weekly podcast. On the weekly podcast, you come to understand that, that not only do I have a face made for radio, but I've got a voice made for print journalism. And when I, <laughs> when I write my blog, you'll find out that I've got a, I've got a writing style made for TV. But uh, it's fun for me because I get the chance to tell some stories um, because there are so many different industries and geographies we can't invest in, Southwich Capital. And yet, uh, much of my mission field is to encourage Christ-following entrepreneurs and business owners that, that are out there. And as I said before, they're slaying dragons. And for them to understand that there's a community of faith-driven entrepreneurs, that they're not alone, that theirs is a holy ambition, and that uh, they're not on an island, and, and that they can really make a difference. In, just being part of that larger fellowship is really, really a lot of fun. And so there's a little bit more about uh, me. There's a little bit more about uh, a larger team of contributors to yeah. both the podcast and to the blog. And my encouragement, my my request would be that, that if somebody checked it out and saw ways in which we could make it better, that they'd let us know. And it just meant to be a small piece of an overall faith and work movement uh, to accompany great things like this podcast. I've listened to it, and it's been a, it's made a difference in my life. Truth at Work, being able to be involved in a community, whether it's at the larger conference or whether it's in a small group in your own community, makes such a difference. Mm -hmm. You know, I alluded before to to being in community with five or six other guys and being in this Bible study on it on a daily basis with nine. It's remarkably powerful when you're able to be in community and fellowship with other people that are also business owners. So check out a Truth at Work group. Just try to figure out how do you get involved in that ministry? Maybe you've been listening to this podcast for a while and, and come to understand that there's some things that might be valuable for you it's infinitely more valuable when you process things real-time in community.
0: Well, thank you for that. And so, Henry, one more time, give us, give us those two websites if you wouldn't mind.
1: Yeah, faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. Right. faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. And then the fund is sovereignscapital.com. Thanks for asking.
0: Fantastic. So, down to my last question then, Henry. And for our regular listeners, this is always the last question I ask on every program. I call it my 423 question because it's based... We've quoted a lot of Proverbs today on a program. But Proverbs 423 Solomon writes this. He says, "Above all else, guard your heart for it determines the course of your life." So Henry, I'd like you to fill in the, the blank here and pass along. You're above all else counselor. You're above all else advice to anyone who's listening. So fill in the blank for us. Above all else.
1: Be after God's heart. Be a man or a woman after God's heart. Don't trust your own unless you find evidence that it's in line with his in his word. And as you see him work through others, be after God's own heart.
0: That is absolutely gold advice right there. So, Henry, I, I just cannot thank you enough. Thank you so much for being a guest on the program today.
1: Ray, thank you for having me. You're a terrific encouragement to me in my life as a, as a business owner, but more importantly as a Christ follower. And you're a really good guy. This doesn't come across perfectly, of course, in a podcast. You're really a lot of fun to hang out with in person, too. I hope people get a chance to do that.
0: Oh, uh, that's very kind. You said that just like my mom probably told you to say it, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yep. Like well, folks, our guest today, what an amazing friend and an amazing uh, Christ-following entrepreneur is Henry Kastner. Check him out at Sovereign's Capital and via the websites that we learned about today. Pass along this program. Email the link to this interview to your friends who are running businesses and, and leading companies and trying to do so to God's glory, this whole concept today on willful versus faithful. It's one of the most powerful concepts that we have talked about here at Bottom Line Faith, and we have learned it from one of America's leading Christ-centered entrepreneurs. So until next time here at Bottom Line Faith, I am your host, Ray Hilbert. God bless, and we'll see you soon. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play
1: and iTunes.